This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Subscribe today at southernfarmandgarden.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Oh yeah, it's time. Yes, that's right. It is time. It's time for What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer. Uh, I have a really special program today. Um, I have two people joining me from Texas. Uh, they are Will Carey and Leisha Pearson. They have organized something called the 2017 Panhandle Fire Relief. And I'm going to, just to give you a quick in case people on the east, northeast, I don't know, it seems like this story has not been getting a lot of coverage on the coasts, maybe a little bit more in California than here because uh, the subject of wildfires is is more germane to that side of the country. But um, for those of us in uh, lovely rain-saturated northeast and, and mid-Atlantic states, um, if you aren't aware that two over 2 million acres of farmland has been burned in Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, and Kansas, um, you're going to hear about it now. So my guests today are... Are Leisha Pearson. Uh, Leisha is from Miami, Texas, a population of 600. She comes from three generations of cotton farmers and ranchers and was born and raised in the Texas Panhandle. She is currently a full-time volunteer for the 2017 Panhandle Fire Relief. Um, she doesn't tell us why she got involved or how, but we're going to find that out in a minute. And then um, uh, additionally, uh, Will Carey is going to join us. Uh, Will is a jewelry designer, lapidary, and a prospector. We're going to have to get to the bottom of that. Um, he's also a gaming clan leader and organizer. Well, now we, we know he's an organizer because he's one of the guys who got this Panhandle Fire Relief. The two of them, in fact, got the Panhandle Fire Relief organization going. Um, and he was born and, I guess, raised in Dumas, Texas. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me on the phone today. How are you doing? We're doing good. It's raining. Oh, my God. Isn't that a gift from God? Not that I believe in God, but still, you know, one can say those things, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good thing, right? You needed rain really bad um, because the reason that you have had these pan- fire- wildfires is due to the extreme drought that Texas has been suffering for, oh, how many years now? Seven years? Yes, we got a little bit of a, pre- a, a reprieve from that um, last year, and this year it's kind of slacking off on the rain in our region. Mm-hmm. So, um, Leisha, you are somehow affiliated with the Texas A&M Extension School, which you you didn't mention in your bio, but um, tell me a little bit about that, because I know Will told me that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, you're cutting out. I, I didn't understand what you, what you just said. Oh, I was just asking if you were affiliated with the Texas A&M Extension School, the ag school there. Uh, no, I'm personally not. No, I, okay. I am a. I was involved in FSA and uh, 4-H growing up as a kid, um, oh. so I am familiar with um, with some of the things that they do. Oh, okay, oh, I see. And Will, you're there, right? Yes. Okay, very good. Okay, so um, let's let's hear a little bit about uh, do not talking over each other. Please try to do that. Um, but Will, why don't you start? And t- how did you get involved in this? How did you start this Panhandle Fire Relief Organization? What happened? Like, how'd you get that rolling, man? That's you, you guys have done some really amazing work. 
Primarily, just about every year we have wildfires, and in most cases we have to have small little things like this to where people get together and either do water drives or things like that to help with the emergency needs in situations like Mm -hmm. this. Um, We started this one primarily this year because each year everybody shuts down the groups and it leaves a blank for next year. This year I went into the thing because I had a friend praying and... It just kind of moved within me that do something instead of praying. That's yeah. I think is. action so, is action is often uh, better than prayer. I think in these in these situations, <laughs> definitely endorse that. Um, so so it was just so. Wait, I'm going to back you up here for a second. So you're saying that these organizations, these little bitty organizations, come up every year, like whether it's town groups or church groups or whatever, to help farmers and ranchers who've been affected by wildfires locally. And then at the end of the wildfire season, that group just sort of disappears, and there's no continuity to that. Why do you think that happens? Given that you have wildfires every year, as you just said. Why, why is that a thing? Why is it shut down every year? Because it affects different areas, and it's uh. not all too often. Every five to ten years, we have these big mega fires where it affects entire regions. I see. Um, so, when, Leisha, how did you get involved in this? Basically, I responded to uh, Will's plea. Um, you know, I had the wildfires come within 10 miles of my house, Yikes. and there were there were people there that needed um, places to put their livestock and their horses, and I just responded to Will's post, and then after that, I kept feeding information on the Uh-huh. Alicia, your, your cell phone reception is terrible. Where are you? Did you not follow my directions and be in a very good place for reception? You know, we I talked about that. You know, we talked about that. <laughs> yes, we did. I'm sorry. No bars, no stairwells, you know, like a place with good, solid reception. Okay. So, Will, um, actually, Leisha, I actually wanted you to describe the wildfires since you you were two miles within two miles of a wildfire. What, what happens? Like, suddenly everything bursts into flame. What What is the impact on farms and ranchers? How long does it take to kind of regroup after one of these things? Some never regroup uh, uh-huh. because you're burning native grassland. And the grass is knee high or maybe higher in some places because it's CRP land. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of it is way burnt. And so, you know, you're talking generation after generation after generation of people uh, dying. You Okay, I'm going to I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you because we can't hear you. Will, can you answer that question? What what happens when when all of these farms and ranches burn? What happens to the people and their livestock? Like, you know, if there was no organization such as yours, what would happen to them? Well, we lose the ability for the native grass to recover for at least a year or two in Ooh. some cases. And this creates not only erosion problems, but uh, the fact that you have to supplement the food for the animals. Um, uh-huh. they have, if they eat all the, anim- all the grass that does come up, then you have no recovery and it prolongs the recovery. So you have to supplement their food stocks. Right. So now that's what you got. You and Leisha have been coordinating uh, supplies and you've been getting them, it sounds like, from all over the country. Can you talk a little bit about that coordination effort and where you're sending your supplies? We are sending the supplies um, to the extension offices and even at this particular point since we've 
stockpiled all the extension offices were delivering direct to the ranchers which are and farmers which are in need. Mm-hmm. And how are you identifying those people? Like, do they post on a, on a board, on a Facebook page, or on some sort of a website that says, help, I just got burned out, and, and then you say, okay, you know, Convoy X from Michigan, you're going to roll over to this guy, or, or you know, Convoy Y, you're going to go somewhere else. H- how do you make that happen? And also the trucking, how do you get the trucking organized? Like, that has to be the biggest part of it. I was thinking about how hard that must be. We have set up a database and a form system to where if there are needs, those all they have to do is come onto our page and fill out a form for their needs wow. with other specific information, which does not go directly into our database for privacy reasons. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we can direct trucks directly to it. We have had some issues um, during the initial stages as we branched out and it grew, we would... Uh, be in constant communication with the extension offices. Well, now they're having a lot of smaller area. Each one's trying to deal with their areas, so there's a lack of communication there. And also the fact that they have also that privacy thing to where they are kind of leery of communicating with out-of-state groups, if you get what I'm saying. So that's one of our primary difficulties is communication at this point. Wow. I'm I'm wondering why privacy issues would come up when it comes to asking for food for livestock. Um, What is the issue there? Can you explain that? We've never had anything like this in place, and most of them are local community extension uh, ag agencies and farm bureaus and things like that, so they're only used to working with local people. There's a pride thing, and I don't mean that in a big head type way, but there's a we're a group of people. We're used to either helping each other out without any assistance. We just help out each other as we need, uh-huh. and we don't like to draw a lot of attention to that. So we just help each other out and get the job done. Uh-huh. And uh, when it comes to agencies and a lot of paperwork and a long, drawn-out process, in this case, uh, relying on the Farm Bureau, state agencies, and other things, it just it takes up anywhere from 30, to six, 30 days to six months to get things actually done through the present system. Do you think that as uh, these wildfires, I mean, first of all, we're, I'm going to make the assumption that wildfires will continue to be a serious problem in your part of the world um, because I believe in climate change. So do you think that state and federal agencies need to kind of ramp up their response time or are you thinking that volunteering is going to continue to fill the bill? Do you think people year after year will be willing to do the kind of heavy lift that they've been doing in terms of giving up uh, time, money, uh, food, you know, like uh, grain or hay for livestock, all that, all the stuff that, that you guys are coordinating? Is that going to continue to be a volunteer effort? And is that fair to have it continue to be a volunteer effort? Yes, it is. And there will be ladder. It's a pay it forward thing. Um, there will be ladder economical consequences to this, but at the same time, due to the lack of federal, state, and even local ability to respond with the present system, it's why we sprung up and why I intend to push this forward into a permanent system if I can. Yes, indeed. I think you must. It sounds to me like it really needs that. What will it take for you to do that, by the way? What will it take to make this a permanent system? 
funding and group coordination. Each area needs to have an individual group or cell which can keep track of their local area needs and uh, databases and communication, and they, everybody needs to work together on this. Uh-huh. And where will the funding come from, if not from uh, state, local, or federal tax money? Um, we're presently working, and I think one other group is working with another similar setup, which is uh, they are emergency response team, which wor- teams mm-hmm. and 501c3 organizations, which work, uh, cooperate and work with not only state and federal agencies like FEMA and other stuff to fill the gaps where large national organizations just it's too much data and they cannot do it Uh Mm -hmm. how frustrating um lisha i would love to ask you more questions but honestly your connection is so poor that i can't understand anything you say so i'm gonna unfortunately unless you have something really compelling to say i'm gonna continue to address my questions to william because i can hear him so much better i'm so sorry about that but what i wanted to ask both of you is what what kinds of basic needs are you serving i mean are you i know that you're deli- you're having these convoys are delivering forage you know big bales of hay but what other kinds of stuff are you delivering to the farmers and ranchers and and talk a little bit about the multi-state coordination um, primarily, we're meeting, um, especially for like the orphans, uh, calves and things, we are having to supply bottles, nipples, housing, um, jackets, volunteers to come in and take care, make the milk replacer and the other things to take care of their wounds. Um, there's all kinds of things go there. Um, so there are a lot of wounded cattle, a lot of young animals that are have been scorched. I know I read that some of that the udders on many uh, mother cattle have been cows have been scorched by the fires. So even if they survive, they still can't suckle their babies. Um, what other kinds of of veterinarian problems are you seeing? Is there smoke inhalation damage, for example? Is that what kills a lot of the cows? Yes, we've had. Uh groups from even as far out as California and other places which have come in and uh, helped with respiratory treatments and other things. Needless to say, when you breathe flames into your lungs, it does not have a good end result. (laughs) And yet we smoke. Yeah. (laughs) I guess cattle have more sense than humans in that sense, don't they? (laughs) Sorry, I just, you know. Every once in a while, I do smoke. So, you know, I, I grew up smoking. I, I don't smoke all the time, but I do still smoke. Um, do you smoke? Well, just out of just out of curiosity, are you a smoker? I have smoked for thirty plus years. So. I see. Mm-hmm. And so, you're an active smoker now. How about you, Leisha? You smoker? Oh, sounds like that would she... be negatory. <laughs> negatory. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden a beautiful, handcrafted agricultural journal. Each issue features stories about food history, seasonal recipes, artisanal products, and the amazing people who bring it to your table. Packed with stunning photography, the content is fresh and educational. Southern Farm and Garden takes you behind the scenes to meet farmers, gardeners, wineries, chefs, and artists who are passionate about creating healthy, unique, and sustainable food and products that you can enjoy all year. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Subscribe today to southernfarmandgarden.com. Foodtank.com names Southern Farm and Garden one of the top 20 magazines for people who eat, cook, and grow, praising it for connecting readers with the food, the farms, and the stories behind our food system. 
Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at southernfarmandgarden.com. So um, you guys, can you, I guess I'm going to say, William, can you describe how much livestock has been lost and, and talk a little bit about the collateral damage? Because it's not just the loss of life in livestock or the loss of, of productivity of livestock in the sense that they are, you know, obviously wounded or ill from respiratory disease now. Um, what about other stuff like fencing, barns, you know, that kind of stuff? What, tell us a little bit about the collateral damage. There's a lot of mixed numbers, and that's because they're coming from different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and without a lack of, with some lacks in communications, nobody's really compiling anything yet that I know of. Uh-huh. But you can take an average across all the different areas, and there's individual stories on the numbers. We're looking at close to, as far as I can tell, about twenty to 23,000 head of cattle lost out of this, plus the wounded and other. Um, On the uh, pigs, we've lost probably in the vicinity of, and I can't tell exactly because some weren't reporting on the pigs and things lost in these, Um, and that would be somewhere between 7,300 and 14,000 head of pigs. I saw a really good thing on this, and I was going to make a note. Um, and that goes deeper into there's chickens, I'm sure, and other sure. stuff, which just are considered irrelevant. The total off of the article, which I read, which was one of the better compilations I'd seen and got my latest numbers, was basically uh, the impact is a loss of 15,000 or 15 million plus meals. Meals. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yes. You mean meals for the cattle or meals for humans? Basically cut off the entire supply of food for the entire uh, northeast coast, New York, everything from Carolina up for basically one day. Wow. That's a very interesting way of putting this. I, I really like that statistic. I'm going to go have to hunt that up because um, that is just fascinating to put it in those very real terms of like, you know, if you're a meat eater and or or and does this? Oh, I, sh- I meant to ask you, does this also affect? Has this also had an impact on dairy farming as well as cattle farming? Yes. Okay, so it's um, both. So it's milk and so it's milk and dairy products and meat. Exactly. Fifteen million meals. Wow, that's really something. So, um. So besides the besides that, but there's also like fencing. I would imagine has been burned. So there's yes. like, and some of these areas are in high plains with cap rock areas. So there's canyons and cliffs and stuff. Oh jeez! And if your animals do not have fencing up, then they walk off a cliff. So we're still losing animals until right. we get the fences up. Right, and then barns. I would imagine a lot of people lost their barns. How about the water supply? What kind of impact has this had on watersheds, streams, and rivers where cattle are watered? Back to the importance on the barns, if they don't have a place to store their feed and hay and stuff protected from the water, it rots, and then they've lost their relief stuff. And on the watersheds, due to the loss of the native grass and stuff, you have to let it regrow. And if you don't, then we have not only a dust problem and an erosion problem, but now we have raw topsoil, which there's very little of up here, and it now you've got a dust bowl condition mm-hmm. where you lose your topsoil and it all goes into the canyons and the lakes and water feeds. 
Wow, this is, I mean, I, I, this is really epic. And yet, uh, I'm sorry to say, it, it gets, I, I, you know, I watch the nightly news. I literally have not seen one single news item in the Northeast on the n- national news that has talked about the impact of these fires and what is being done to help farmers and ranchers recover from them. I wanted to ask you both, um, and unfortunately, I can't, since I can't hear Alicia for, for nothing, um, do you think... What do you think will be the long-term impacts on farms and ranches going forward, um, you know, as a result of these problems? Like, as you said, you know, the water, there's a water issue, there's a dust bowl, a potential dust bowl condition. Uh, people don't have barns. Uh, they don't have places to house their cattle. They don't have fencing. What, what You know, what's it going to take to help all these people turn that around? And do you think they will? Um some of the initial estimates are just not even realistic. The little bit of state aid um, that we have received is just not even a drop in the bucket. Um, For one, uh, the long term, we've been discussing this recently on a new thread. Um, It almost went political. We'll leave that out of here anyway. Um, Rules and regulations, there are fire ant restrictions on transferring uh, not only grains but other things due to various uh, EPA and ag agency uh, farm bureau restrictions in place. So we cannot just freely move our supplies as we need to move them. Um, For one, it came up in one of the discussions the fact that, number one, long term, we do not have enough... uh, feed donations or anything else to to get this done. Part of that is due to fire ant restrictions and other things, because we, right there, just under that one regulation, we lost 25 to 30 percent of our entire feed supply, and we can only move that into certain areas which are covered by that restriction. Then there's other things which have other ecological um, disadvantages, such as you don't want to bring certain types of grass or weed into another area, because now you've got other ecological problems. So... So what would it's your be solution very to that? Yeah, well, but but to go back to this, I, I'm not quite sure I understand the fire ant regulation. We're talking about ants, the insects, fire ants. That's yes. an issue. So you don't want to you don't want to be moving fire ant populations from one area to another, just as you wouldn't want an invasive species from Texas to go into Kansas. I get that. Would you guys? Right. Is that a problem? So. So what you're saying is that you you don't like that regulation. You would like to see those regulations go away? Um, I'm just saying that I realize why and, you know, because you have to protect the environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's some things we just, I respect the regulations and I know why they're there. I'm just putting the point out there that mm-hmm. there will not be enough food for right. the animals. Even with what we've done, this was just an emergency stopgap. So... Wow, that is a naughty problem. I mean, I you know, I think that uh, it behooves people like you who boots on the ground, who know what's going on, and farmers and ranchers to come together in some kind of an organization that helps uh, the EPA and the you know the USDA understand how to mitigate some of these issues um, without trading 
bugs and weeds around. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there should be a long-term problem, a, a long-term fix for this. And uh, of course, I don't know enough about the the issue to to be able to p- put anything forward myself. But um, it seems to me that you guys, with all of the input that you must be getting from all of the different farms and ranchers in different uh, states that you're working with, um, you you should be able to come up with some kind of a consensus. So, but 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 it hasn't stopped you from sending because you've been sending relief supplies to Kansas, uh, to Oklahoma, to Colorado. And throughout the state of Texas, right? So those those all those areas share similar environmental um, bugs and, yes. and weeds, so it's okay to do that. Well, we had to work under restrictions. Is the whole thing? That's I why see. it needed to be a coordin- centrally coordinated thing, uh-huh. as well as not only just providing the information, so that people that didn't want to cooperate in what we were doing or were leery of it could go in and either get the information from a post and or be able to we could coordinate with those that did work with us like michigan convoy and a few other things um but bring it all into play yeah um, so that phenomenal coordination in that case i mean that that raises my respect even higher um for what you've been able to accomplish because really it's it's it sounds extremely complicated and very difficult to do now i saw and i saw that the usda has announced that it will pay out a whopping six million dollars <laughs> In disaster relief funds, which, you know, seems almost laughable. In fact, it is laughable. What what do you think really would be the cost of of truly helping farmers and ranchers? And and how, you know, well, at the end of the program, we'll ask about how people can participate. But yeah, six million. What do you think about that? Kudos where they're due. There was another two million from another state which was activated. Um, so a total of eight million. Um, just here in Texas alone, their guesstimate right off the top was twenty-one million. To Jesus. be more realistic, I don't think those figures included farm equipment lost and other things, homes, uh, farm equipment, and various other things. The fencing alone, the six million, would barely, if they just directly took those funds and just bought fencing with it would barely pay for that. Right, right. Now, what about insurance um, programs? So don't people have insurance for their for their homes or their equipment? I mean, I would think that that was part of being a farmer, is that you have a fairly we, robust insurance policy? We do, and it, they, I guess they could figure something out or camp in a tent for the next uh, 90 to 90 days to six months while they're filling out the paperwork and getting it all approved. That's shocking. And is that what's actually happening? I mean, I would think that is what's happening, right? If if you can't stay with a nearby neighbor or a relative, you really don't have any option, especially if you still have animals that you have to care for in your, you know, on your farm, right? To give you an idea, we had to get this thing rolling and get the uh, hay beginning to get into place for a week and a half in our particular area before they even finally, after we had finally flooded our local extension offices with hay supplies, they finally decided maybe they should lift the uh, permitting restrictions to free up the flow and aid our Mm. thing. They those extensions uh, fail as of today, so now they're back in place. And then this is where we run into political problems. And uh, feel anyway, free to describe those political problems. What 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 are you talking about? Well, 
I, ha- I had been in contact with someone which was trying to get permit restrictions extended. Well, they were trying. They were asking me, "Will a week do it?" We're talking six months to a year of need here, mm-hmm. and these permits cost thousands of dollars per load. The same said as a tank of fuel for one of these guys is a thousand dollars, basically. So. You're talking about the truckers, the guys who are who are rolling the hay around the country, or the other supplies, right? Yes, and like I said, I was. They were fixing to throw in a uh, possible one week extension mm-hmm. on the uh, permitting regulations and things, um, and even in some cases, just discounts. They didn't even waive them; they just discounted them. But when they contacted me about what we actually needed, and I told them. Uh, Actually, six months would work, a year maybe. Right. Depends on how deep this goes, but at least six months, unless you guys want to keep coming back every week for the next six months and doing the same thing again. Right, right. Crazy. That's just crazy. Um, I'm going to hope that uh, that your governor, Abbott, I think it is in Texas, right? That he's, uh-huh. That he... What do you think about him? What do you think is, is, the, is the likelihood of, of Governor Abbott uh, stepping in and... and you know, waiving these permitting restrictions or doing what you feel is needs to be done to make this um, process roll out a little more smoothly than it than it does without those um, without those extensions to permitting. I think the primary thing there is what they call political grassroots pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, just basically people contacting their senators and their governors and letting them know that that was nice for the next week, but we need help here. <laughs> And but what about FEMA? FEMA has not Alicia, who I, I think has got has signed off now. Very sadly, I'm sorry, I could not work with her phone there, but it just was not fair to to listeners. Um, but uh, she said that it was kind of a good thing that FEMA has not been invoked because. Um, f- but I didn't understand why. And she said, "Well, the reason that FEMA is not part of this disaster relief is because there was no significant loss of human life." Um, but wouldn't wouldn't it make sense for FEMA to be invoked here, given the loss of habitat and and livelihood that is the, involved? The other issue there is the fact that of the actual loss of monetary damages. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, this we're in a whole new realm here, and nothing like this has ever been done before. Right. Um, but we're in contact with the people on the ground and kind of back to that 21 million estimate. Yeah. More realistically, each state affected in these is at least probably closer to 100 million back end. Oof. Wowie. So, yeah, you're looking at basically 400 million is what is actually going to be needed in product here. And I, I realize that, you know, they have to actually evaluate not only between the relief effort and stuff, but I don't think they're considering or just maybe not the communication there, the fact that, you know, this is going to be a long-term thing. It's not something, you know, we can just dump hay on all these farms or the extension offices and it's done. We can put the permits back and DOT and everybody can get back to their regular business as usual. It's it's our Katrina out here. That's right. That's how I'm seeing it. I see it as a Katrina. I see people with loss of homes, so loss of residents, loss of livelihood, um, you know, loss of viable land or production of any means. You know, I, don't, I just don't see that this is uh, something that, as you say, a few bales of hay is going to fix it. So I'm just curious about what the what the opportunities are for finding other means of funding that $400 million that you just uh, guesstimated as the long-term cost of this problem, of these wildfires, I should say, not a problem of these wildfires. Um, 
what do you think what what do you think the the federal government is going to do or do you feel that the federal government has an obligation to help you guys um i'm gonna say it's probably preferred that they stay out of it um mm-hmm. I mean, it, this you being is something that we just feel needs to be handled locally, and we've had enough government overreach. Um, is that right? <laughs> we we would just rather kind of handle it on our own and have the restrictions on what we're doing out of the way so that we can move freely not only in our own states but in our own local areas mm-hmm. so that we, we take care of each other down here. Well, I you know, I think that you are not alone in that. I think that even people in the Northeast take care of each other. Believe me, during Hurricane Sandy, we all pitched in around here in New York City, even here. But my point is, is that I don't think that it is fair for local and state taxpayers to shoulder a burden that is a multi-state issue. And that's why I personally think that the federal government has a role to play in terms of at least giving you guys some money. Um, how you allocate that money and what you do with that money is obviously going to be, I think, should be up to the states. But that's where I feel the federal government plays a role. Um, and it's interesting that you don't feel that way, that you feel like this is just something that we're going to handle on our own. But the fact is, William, these wildfires are not going to go away, dude. I mean, don't you think this is going to happen again? And if so, what if your resources are totally depleted by that point? You know what I mean? Like I'm I- fully aware of that, and I agree, <laughs> and that's part of why we're trying to do something down here, which mm-hmm. has never been attempted before, which is kind of a grassroots thing to not only keep some of the bureaucracy out of the problem, but make it so that it's a quick response. As far as the right. funding goes, we are uh, cooperating with uh, Humanity Road, and like I said, there's a couple other groups forming up and following our example. Um, I call it cloning. They deal with their own local area things, and it's mm-hmm. kind of everybody's organizing on the fly. So this is also going to take us a little bit of time to get everything into place. But we do have a PayPal uh donation thing set up for uh, through Humanity Road. Um, they helped during uh, Katrina and a couple of other disasters, as I said earlier, an uh, intermediary between FEMA and some of the other uh, relief efforts going on. And that's what caught her attention and brought her to us. Who's that, Leisha? Uh, no, that is uh, Catherine with uh, Humanity Road. Oh, I see. With Okay, sorry, sorry. I, we, we, we made a little non sequitur there because we hadn't heard Catherine's name before, so I just wasn't sure who you were talking about. Um, we're just about out of time, my friend, but I wanted to ask you this. Um, how much more do you think uh, you guys are going to be able to... How, how much further are you going to be able to go in terms of organizing this grassroots thing? Um, and will you... Do you see it becoming something that is like a multi-state organization that works just kind of like Humanity Road, that is that kind of doesn't really participate in government so much as it's just kind of a grassroots thing? Is that that's how you see disaster relief unfolding in your area for the future? We cannot do it by ourselves. We realize that. So there is going to have to be some other we're we're gonna have to get some help. However, um we're local, we're here, and each state has their own individual needs and requirements. So right. we need groups in each state to basically do what we're doing as a quick response while 
the larger organizations and our governments can. In other words, we're not dissing the system. We realize the overload. To give you an example, we are a right now at 25-plus groups we're dealing with across wow. 29 states mm-hmm. and a base membership between all the different groups and everything we're dealing with of over 20,000 people and growing every day. Wow. That is, I mean, it's just so admirable, the fact that you've been able to pull all this stuff together and do it so quickly, respond so fast to the needs of these you know, unfortunate people and their, and their animals. It's, it's really, um, really laudable. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to know you, Will. I'm proud to know you. Um, and I'm just going to ask you one really silly question here, but you said you're a jeweler and a lapidary expert. How the hell did you get, I mean, like, I get that you wanted to do something rather than pray, but like, you're not a farmer. You're not really, I mean... Actually, I am. I raised chickens in my backyard, and oh, well we then. just okay. a couple of years ago had fires on three sides of us, so we had fire burning around us right here in Amarillo. I could see fire 270-plus degrees around me. Oh, terrifying. I'm so glad I live in the Northeast. Oh. <laughs> and one thing some people don't realize about these fires is, especially when you get a 50 to 70 mile an hour wind pushing them, yeah. one of these fires can move over 18 miles. That's from horizon to horizon in a matter of minutes. Oh my God. It's like having a blowtorch on dry grass. Yeah. Yeah. No, terrifying, my friend. So I'm going to ask you to just uh, tell people how they can help uh, contribute to your efforts. There's uh, Humanity Highway or, or it was that Humanity Road you just hum- mentioned. But then Humanity is- Road is our primary mm-hmm. 501c3, which is helping us out right now. And they have set up a PayPal direct donation. Um, we're operating under the activation operation pitchfork at the moment. <laughs> I love it. And the Panhandle Fire Relief Committee, right? Two thousand seventeen uh, Panhandle. Twenty seventeen Panhandle Fire Relief. Yeah. So people can go to um, to the Humanity Road website um, or to the Operation Pitchfork. That's a website, also. Um, no, we we just are getting our. Uh, website up and running. Mm-hmm. We just set up a forums and everything else, and we're in the process between that and Skype and Facebook is how we've been doing it so far. Incredible. So, and how long? How much longer do you expect to be able to? How much longer do you think you will be continuing to to make these relief efforts? Because it sounds like the wildfires have died down in Oklahoma. They got rain. You got a little bit of rain, right? What What yes. do you think is what's the What's the forecast for the for the hot weather? What do you think is going to happen? We will probably have more fires this summer yet. We've already had three more fires since uh, this whole thing began, as a matter of fact. Uh, that was March 4th, I think. We had a I firefighter think. which was injured in a fire after the main, one went, main ones went out and were contained. We had supplied hay to Wheeler, Texas. Another fire sprung up and burned their hay we had just gotten Jesus. delivered to them, and a firefighter was injured pretty seriously. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Well, folks, listen up and pay attention because this, you know, we're talking about the heartland of America. We're talking about our food supply here. Um, So that's, as Will pointed out earlier, what did you tell me? It was like 15 million meals, Will, that we've lost for the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic states, if you want to look at it in those terms. Um, 15 million. 15 million. And Will, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought, but I was going to ask you about the... um, 
the, the sort of the breadbasket issue. How much do you think prices will rise as a result of this? Is this going to be good for cattle ranchers in the future because there'll be such an even tighter supply of cattle than there is now? It's hard to tell. If we can get our permitting restrictions extended and other things like that to help us with the thing, um, for each for each permit we have to pay for or the truckers have to pay for, that's another tank of fuel, so it cuts our efforts in half. Right, right. So it, it, those numbers are just out there. Um, as far as the duration, probably between six months and a year, depending on rain and how many more fires we have. Right. So it's... This is huge. I really, I mean, I'm sorry that the national news organizations are not picking up this story and doing more reporting so that more money is flowing into your coffers. But I'm hoping to be able to, that this will be my little bit to help you guys. Um, and I will certainly be donating to the effort myself. Um, thanks so much for joining me today, Will. I really appreciate this. And um, my and please give Leisha my regards. I'm so sorry I couldn't deal with her phone thing. Um, but, you know, that's them's the breaks. That's radio for you. So thanks for listening, people. Thanks to my sponsor. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye now. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.